You got your Bibles, John chapter 1 is where we're going to be and walking through verses 35 through the end and continuing this study through the gospel of John. And uh, the theme of our time in the word this morning is a phrase that maybe you've said or maybe even you've heard this week, which is come and see, come and see. Now, if you've heard that phrase and someone has come to you and they've said something like, come here, you got to see this. That can be a really good thing or that can be a really bad thing, right? And it, it all depends on context. Like context is everything, right? Depending on who that person is, they come up to you, come here, you got to see this. First, you look into their eyes and in their eyes, you can see joy or you can see panic. Like You can't hide it, right? And so, so when you see that, you know, this is going to be something really good or it's going to be something really bad. Another thing, another kind of context clue and all of that is the the tone of their voice all right somebody comes up to you hey come here you got to see this I'm like yeah let's let's see that sounds pretty good but if it's like come here you got to see this it, it changes everything about that right tone is everything um can be really good can be really bad today I'm thankful is really 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 good matter of fact it's the best good that, that, that we could ever experience. And that is the fact that Jesus Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world, the only one who has the power to forgive sin and give you peace with God. He says this to every seeking heart, come and see, come and see an open invitation to everybody. Here's the main idea this morning of our text. Jesus Christ makes himself known to those who genuinely seek him. Jesus has never turned away anyone genuinely seeking him. This is super encouraging. Like by the end of these few verses that that we're walking through, John the baptizer, we know about him. He's the forerunner for Jesus. But even in this text, we are going to see the the John, the disciple John, who wrote this book, the disciple John. We're going to see Andrew. We're going to see Simon Peter. We're going to see Philip. We're going to see Nathaniel. We're going to see these disciples and their first interaction with Jesus Like his invitation is to all who seek after him to come and see, and he will reveal himself. So let's jump in John chapter one, verse 35. And the word of God says this, the next day, John, this is John the baptizer. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So just just as an encouragement, John the baptizer, this was a brother. If you ever wanted to see somebody who had a passion for Christ, if you ever want to see somebody who who uh, the more than anything else, which is what we just sang about, wanted Jesus. This was John the baptizer. That that his whole world, his heart was all in on the mission of God. Uh, He was all in on what we call the big C calling uh, that every believer has. If you've been a uh, rescued by God's grace, forgiven of your sin, you have a relationship with Jesus. We are all called. We all have a calling to point the world to Jesus. John the baptizer was that voice. He was faithful to point the world to Jesus. But then he was also faithful in what, what I call his little C calling. And that was his vocation. Most of us, all of us have a vocation of some sort. 
And so, so with that, it's, it's using what God has put in us for the kingdom. And so for him, for John the baptizer, his little sea calling was to be the forerunner of Jesus. That was God's plan for his life. God has a plan for your life. And so here's the forerunner and his whole mission in life was prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way, prepare the way, and then get out of the way. And here is the savior world. John the baptizer says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he said it, this is the one, this is the Messiah. This is the one they have been longing for, waiting for the only one who can satisfy their deepest need. He's here. Behold, he's here. And so John the baptizer had his own disciples. And so two of those disciples unhitched their wagon from John the baptizer and hitched their wagon onto Jesus. And that was John's whole plan was follow Jesus, prepare the way and get out of the way. Two of those disciples we're reading about this morning. One was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and the other was John, the disciple John who wrote this gospel. So what's awesome is like we're not reading third hand, fourth hand, fifth hand information. John, John, the disciple is saying, hey, let me invite you into the day that I met Jesus. And so he's bringing us into the text. In verse 38, the Bible says that Jesus turned and he saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And that's a powerful question. Jesus is the ultimate question asker. He is the master question asker. And what's important for us to see is if you have a red letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, this is the first red letters you see in this gospel account. They're so important. And what Jesus, the master question asker is doing, he's God, like he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything. But what he's doing is he wants those that follow him to really dig into why are you seeking after me? Like, why, why are you following me? In our lingo today, he's saying, what are you seeking? In our lingo, it might be, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what, what are you guys doing? To which, that's a great question to ask all of us this morning. What are we doing? Why are we here? What's brought us to this place today? What's guided us in kind of tuning in online? Like, what, why are we here? If Jesus were to ask us all the question, what are you doing here? What's the motive? What's the why? Because that's what questions do. They reveal and they teach us what our true motives are. What, what's, what's going on? I love those questions. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, this is powerful because um, like this is so challenging. It's so convicting. It's so honoring to God what they're saying, because think about this. If I'm in their shoes and he were to ask me that question and I understand that I am in the physical presence of the son of God, the creator of all things, I've got a long list of reasons why I'm following him. And it could be because my mother is ill and, and desperately needs a touch from God. It could be that that maybe for the disciples at that time, like financial hardship was a reality and they need a little bit more wiggle room to make it all come together at the end of the month. Hey, Jesus, like you can do anything. You can create anything. Can you help me create some margin in my life? Cause, cause I'm really struggling right now. Or it could be that, that in the home of, of John and Andrew, we don't know, but there could be relational tension and there could be frustrations 
And it could be like, okay, Jesus, like you are truth. That's who you say you are. I know you're the truth. You know the truth. You know that I'm right. So come to my home and let everybody know in my house why I am right. Can you tell them everybody? Like there's this long list of things that they could have said, but notice what they did. They didn't go straight to his hands. God, do this. They simply said this, where are you staying? In other words, all I want right now is to spend time with you. Because I know that as I spend time with you, that's really my deepest need. And then as you stay with Jesus and you spend that time with Jesus, what Jesus does is, is, is in that time, we'll hear his voice. We'll be reminded that he's, he's holding it all together. We'll be reminded of those incredible promises that are found in scripture. And so all they wanted was Jesus. And I love that. I love that. And so how does he respond to that? Come and see. Come on. Every genuine seeker, come and see. Bible says in verse 39 that he, Jesus, said to them, come and you will see. So this is, again, the disciple John and the disciple Andrew. This is their first interactions with Jesus. And they have no idea what's going to happen the next three years of their life. <laughs> we have the gift of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We see the full story. These brothers would have no idea the adventure that they are in for. We're on the front. We're, on the, we're at the very beginning of their journey with the Lord. And they're going to see so much. They're going to experience so much. Matter of fact, John says, if you go to the very end of the gospel of John, John chapter 21, if you go to the very last verse of his gospel, here's what he says. He, or excuse me, John 21, verse 25, he says this. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that could be written. <laughs> So John, John can't even like, there's not enough paper in this world to write about all that Christ did. And so he, again, is walking. He's, 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 he's following Jesus and Jesus gives him the invitation, come and see. The Bible goes on to say, so they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now, here's really where the text drives, it really hits home for us. The text hits home because here's the truth. We're going to see it in the text and we experience in our lives is that when you spend unhurried and unhindered time in the presence of Jesus, it will have an impact on the people around you. It will impact your life. It will impact those who are closest to you. It will impact those. There's going to be a ripple effect a ripple effect. Now, I, I am a doer. I, I like to do. I find fulfillment in doing. I'm thinking that there's a lot of doers in the room today. And, and, and the Bible even commands us to be doers of the word, not hears only. But I think where things get off the rails a little bit is when our doing for God outpaces our being with God. Because it's our being with God that informs our doing for God. And when your doing outpaces your being, we all know what that feels like, right? It's like driving down a, 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 a highway at full speed and the wheels are starting to come off. 
And so what, what God is teaching us, and he teaches us all through his interactions with the disciples, before he ever told them to go to the world and make disciples, he first called them to the mountainside to be with him. Before he ever sent his disciples out preaching, and as disciples, we should all be proclaiming the word. Before he ever did that, he called them to be with him. And so this, this spending time in the presence of God is going to have a major ripple effect. And so this is kind of one observation in the text and an application for us. Christ changes us as we spend unhurried and unhindered time with him. Unhurried, unhindered. Even when you hear those words, does it make you just want to take a deep breath and rest? <laughs> because so much of our lives, that does not describe but this is the key. This is the, the, the secret sauce. This is, the, this is what makes it all work. It's spending time in his presence and that changes everything. Because for me, I can be overwhelmed at the things that I need to stop doing and the things that I should be doing and the things that I need to be better at doing. Like I can get in that, in that, in that world and I can be completely overwhelmed with everything that is not right in me that, that I know I want to make right because we love the Lord and we want to honor him. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better daddy. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better worker. I want to do, I want to do better. I want to do like, I want to do all those things. But what happens is we can focus so much on the outward behavior that we, we, we can neglect what really will allow for life transformation. And that is spending time with Jesus. He told them to come and see. And as they did, and as they spent time with him, unhurried and unhindered, it changed everything. By God's grace, there is one way, one way to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, which is his plan for our life. And that is unhurried, an unhindered time with the Father. And he changes us as we rest in his love and in his grace. I just finished reading a book called Lead Like Jesus. It's a book by Ken Blanchard. And he talks about how God's love is not like any other love. It's, it's unconditional. There is no match for his love. And what he does is he challenges, he's challenging leaders, but he's like, listen, leadership is influence. If you influence anybody, which all of us influence somebody, all of us do, that, that, that if we want to make a lasting impact, it really roots itself in abiding in that love relationship with Jesus. What he does is he says, I want you to do this. I want you to put your name in this blank, and then I'm going to read a promise from God's word, and I want you to just read through this list. I want to read through that list with you this morning. They're all rooted in the promises of the word. Hey, Jared. I know you by name. Jared, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jared, I gave my life for you. Fill your name in the blank. I have great plans for you. Nothing can separate you from my love. I will wipe away every tear away from your eyes. Ask and you will receive. I want you to have life and have it to the full. I take great delight in you. I am with you wherever you go. I will never leave you and never forsake you. Aren't those awesome promises from God? They're amazing. But if we live hurried, interrupted lives and our doing outpaces our being, we will, we will miss those amazing truths about God that he says about all of us. All of us. And so 
We change. Christ changes us as we spend unhurried and unhindered time. But then it always has a ripple effect. Christ's love for us drives our love for others to know him. When we rest in God's love, it has an immediate impact on those who are around us. Look at verse 40. The Bible says that one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So this is Andrew. Operation Andrew is in effect. Now, I, I missed uh, the Billy Graham Crusades. They were, they, were, they were sometimes nearby or I just never made it. Perhaps some of you have been to one of his crusades before and, and what an impact that, that he made for the kingdom and that family made for the kingdom. And what they did when they would have one of their crusades come into town, they would have what's called Operation Andrew. And they would basically encourage people who are those people who are closest to you that you have relationships with, that you long to see come to Jesus. And you begin to pray over them and, and the plan is to invite them to this crusade. Well, it, it's Operation Andrew is in effect and it's going. And where does he go? He goes straight to his brother. That the ripple effect of unhurried and unhindered time is the impact of God's love to those around us. And so the Bible says in verse 42 that he brought him to Jesus. I love that picture. He went and got his brother, Simon Peter, brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now this is, this is I love this about Jesus. We're going to see it again in a second. Now, if what we gather from scripture about Simon is Simon Peter is uh, a bit of a wild card known to put his foot in his mouth more than one occasion. He would be kind of the, the brash person. He would be the one that would be kind of the first to sign up for something and then be like, no, nah, I'm out. Like <laughs> he would be out uh, a little, a little rough around the edges. And uh, I love, I love Peter and just who he is. He is who he is, right? He had his struggles just like all of us. But it's interesting that Peter didn't, or Simon, Peter didn't go to Jesus and be like, hello, let me introduce you to myself. I'm Simon. No, Jesus said, you are Simon. You're the son of John. In other words, I know your name. You're John. Didn't even get, or I'm sorry, you're, you're Peter. Like he, or you're Simon. Sorry. He will name him Peter in just a second. Uh, and so like, you're, you're Simon. Not only do I know who you are, your daddy is John. And so I know you and I know your daddy. But I'm going to give you a new name, and your new name is Peter, or Cephas, it means rock. He's going to give him a nickname. And what I love about God in the Bible is when he changes a person's name, oftentimes it doesn't so much describe who they are in the moment, but describes who they will become, like who he's going to change them into. Because again, Simon Peter, like all of us, were a major work in progress. And so here is Peter, if you remember how he, kind of his journey he was the one that denied Christ three times. He was the one that was cowering in the upper room, hoping the Romans wouldn't come on the, on the day of the resurrection. Uh, but yet fast forward, he's restored by the resurrected Christ. And then by Acts 2, he's preaching to thousands of people in Jerusalem and thousands of people are coming to Christ. Then in the word, when he's kind of acting in his kind of fleshly self, he's often called Simon. And then when he's He's standing for Christ and preaching the gospel and honoring the Lord. He's referred to as Peter, the rock. 
And so, so I love that Jesus doesn't just see where we are, but he sees who he has made us to become. Isn't that a good word? Isn't it amazing that God in his grace loves us even though he knows everything about us? And so here he is and he says, you got a new name. Your name is going to be Rock. You're going to be a rock for the church. You're going to be steady. You're going to be a steady gospel witness to a world that desperately needs you. And what did Jesus say? Follow me and I will... Something you fishers of men, follow me and I will make you. So isn't that like, this isn't like, this is the Holy Spirit working in us for him to change us and shape us into who he wants us to become. He does the work. We have to yield and let him do his work. And I love this is that we all know what Peter does in Acts. He's a leader of the church. He's preaching on the day of Pentecost in front of thousands, thousands come to Christ. Like, think about that. Rewind his testimony all the way to where we're reading today. He used his brother who had spent unhindered and unhurried time with the Messiah. And it was out of that that he went and got his brother. Like, you can trace it all back to unhurried and unhindered time. Verse 33, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, a city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus has been in the Judean wilderness. He's in the south. He's moving up towards the north. He's moving into the region of Galilee. And Andrew, much in the same way that, or, or excuse me, Philip, much in the same way that Andrew, the overflow of spending time with Jesus is to bring others to Jesus. And so he goes out and he goes to find Nathaniel. Un, unhurried and hindered time always has a ripple effect. It always does. Verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, I love this, come and see. Takes one out of Jesus's uh, question, master question list, right? Come and see. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You ever thought about that in some way? Like, really? From Nazareth? Like that's, so, so just culturally, the South was Judea. This is where the elite and the sophisticated that would consider themselves elite and sophisticated. This is where they live. And as you went north into Galilee, this would be um, kind of seen in that time culturally as the less sophisticated part. Um, kind of lack of a better word, kind of the backwoods area of, of life up there. And, and so basically what Nathaniel is doing is like Nazareth. Can anything good come out of there? Now, now Nathaniel's from Cana. Jesus performs his first miracle in Cana. We're going to see that uh, here in, in the future. But, but think about this. So, so you got Nazareth and 10 miles from Nazareth is Cana. So they're both in Galilee. And, and I grew up in Corinth, which isn't far from here. And, and where I grew up, sports was a pretty big deal. And so we had a city school and we had a couple county schools. And I'm telling you, whenever it was rivalry week, you know it, don't you? I mean, the colors come out. 
You, you are representing your team. Uh, you want nothing more than defeat who? Your rival. And it just so happened that just about every school was about 10 miles apart there where we were at. And so you almost get a feel like Nathaniel has got a little rivalry going on with Nazareth. The Canaan, uh, the Cana versus Nazareth. And, and so he's like, can anything good come out of there, really? Can anything really good come out of there? And the answer is, Philip says, come and see. Come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In other words, he's not saying he's perfect. Like There's no perfect people. We're all sinners. We all fall in short. We all need forgiveness and God's grace. We all need that. We all need that. But what, what Jesus is saying is like, here, here's the guy who you don't have to wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can the Messiah come out of Nazareth? There is no question where Nathaniel is standing at on the, on the topic and on the subject. So Jesus says, here he is, behold, an Israelite. Indeed, there is no deceit. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Man, you ever, you ever talk, have a conversation with somebody and, or maybe you've been on the receiving end of some information that completely boggles your mind? And, and it's as you're looking at, into their eyes or they look into your eyes, you can almost see the wheels churning in their brains. And this is what I, this is what I envision as I see Nathaniel. Because he's like, can anything really good come from Nazareth? Philip says, come and see. And, and again, just like with Simon Peter, Jesus doesn't give Nathaniel an opportunity to introduce himself. Hello, I'm Nathaniel. He's like, how do you know who I am? Jesus knows everything. I love that. And so Nathaniel's mind is being blown. His wheels are turning right now because Jesus saw him under the fig tree. Guess what? Guess who was at the fig tree? Nobody but him. Nathaniel, that's his fig tree. That's his secret place. I imagine when he was there, he was, he was like knowing like there's nobody else here right now. This was his secret place. But God sees everything. There are no secret places with God. He knows everything. And let that be an encouragement to you, not a discouragement to you. Like he sees it all. Jesus sees every secret thing about our lives. And he loves us still. He loves us still. And so Nathaniel was a doubter. He was a doubter. But listen, questions are good. And when a doubter genuinely seeks after Christ, he will reveal himself. He absolutely will. And so the one who sees and knows all things loves even still. Nathaniel, mind is blown that Jesus saw where he was at when no one else was there. Verse 9, Nathaniel answered him, or excuse me, verse 49, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. To which kind of the way I'm processing that is, you thought that the fig tree thing was awesome. <laughs> You thought just the fact that I saw you when you thought like nobody else could see you, you think that's cool? Greater things than these you're going to see. And, and I'm, I'm kind of like processing a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking he's like, you thought that was amazing? You just wait and see what's going to happen. 
You follow me. Because Nathaniel, you don't know it yet, but guess where we're going next? We're going to go to your hometown. <laughs> and guess what we're going to do at your hometown? We are going to, I am going to perform the very first miracle. It is the first of 37 miracles that we see in the Gospel of John. And he's like, you just wait till we go to your hometown and see what happens. <laughs> and so what an encouragement. That it's like, you had not seen nothing yet. You haven't seen anything yet. Verse 51 The Bible says this, and he said to him, truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. That that can feel a little bit disjointed. It it can feel a bit like, well, that's an interesting thing to say there at the end, right before he says greater things than these, you're going to see, let's roll But Nathaniel would have had a really good grasp on his Old Testament. And he would be familiar with the story in the Old Testament that's in Genesis chapter 28. And it's the story of how Jacob was running from Esau after he had sold his birthright. And Jacob is making a run for Laban. And as he's making his way, he stops in a place called Bethel. And at Bethel, he finds a rock and he lays his head on that rock. And Genesis 28 tells us about a dream that that Jacob had. And that Jacob, that, that dream was of a ladder and with angels were ascending and descending up and down that ladder. And so what Jesus is communicating here to Nathaniel is he is saying, listen, greater things you're going to see. You want to know why? Because I am that ladder. I am the mediator. I'm the one mediator between heaven and earth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. If you want to spend eternity with God and in His presence, there is only one way, and that is through a personal relationship with me. It's the only way. It's the only way to have life and life to the full. And so Jesus is communicating even early on, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. I am that ladder. So just think about what we've just seen in these few verses. John the baptizer is now officially out of the way. And we see John, the disciple John, and we see Andrew, and we see Simon Peter, and we see Philip, and we see Nathaniel. And what we are seeing now is the beginning of this great adventure. And what I love, again, one of the things about this text is this. I can almost picture Peter like going to introduce himself. You're Simon. You're the son of John. You got a new name. And then I can picture like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. And he goes with Philip. Philip says, come and see. He goes and see. And Jesus tells him who he is before he ever has a chance to get the words out of his mouth. He's like, what, what is going on? I saw you under the fig tree. <laughs> He's like, I'm God. I'm God in the flesh. And I've come to bring salvation into this world. Jesus knows everything. And so here's one more truth for us to hang on to today from the text. And that is this. Christ sees what we can't. And so by God's grace, may we keep pointing others to Jesus And enjoy the adventure. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the adventure. I may look at Simon Peter and be like, Simon Peter did what? (laughs) He 
completely yielded his life to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of his life? Like, do you know him? I saw him two weeks ago. Like, it could be easy. Even Andrew could have been like, I don't know. Like, my brother, he's got a, he's got a hard heart. He's got a tough personality. I don't know. But, but it's out of the overflow of that personal relationship, that unhindered, unhurried time, that he took him to Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. He changed his life. And so, and so let's, let's, and I, I say us, let's not decide who, like, who, who, who does and who does not have the ability to follow Jesus. Let's just trust that Jesus knows everything, point others to Jesus and enjoy the adventure. And that's what these disciples are heading out on is an adventure of following him. And I share this in closing is that may we never stop praying for and may we never stop sharing with, and may we never stop showing love toward those who are outside of a personal relationship with Jesus. I shared this with our prayer meeting this past Wednesday night. I believe it with all my heart. If, 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 a, if, a, if a local faith family takes their eyes off of the mission, the glory of God, the mission of God, making Christ known that that is the moment that church begins to die. That God has placed us here for a purpose. And that purpose is to point people to Jesus. And as we do that, we do that out of the overflow of a personal relationship with him. And, and, and if you've spent your life in church, and I have most of my life, and I'm thankful for that. Listen, as a church, we will do everything we can to equip you and to equip each other and train to share our faith with people who may not know Jesus. And we will train. It, it may be that there was a there was a, a strategy called evangelism explosion back in the day. Anybody go through that? Just curious. I see that hand. All right. So and then we had there was called a faith strategy. It was like an outline that was great. Uh, and perhaps you walked through that. Anybody walk through faith? Just curious. All right. I see that hand. All right. And then there's like three circles, which is a, a way that we've encouraged people to learn to share the gospel and. Uh, and so we've, we've provided those training opportunities. And I, I say this to say this strategy is good and being equipped is essential. But if all we're putting our eggs in the basket of are a strategy, it will not last. What lasts is when a believer spends unhurried and unhindered time in the presence of God and rests in the abundance and abides in God's love. And it is out of that that we cannot help but tell those who are close to us about Jesus and to bring them to Jesus. And I can't imagine Andrew running out of there and being like, oh, okay, I'm gonna, I can't mess this up. I need to know this, 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 this. Uh, no, what does he do? He just, the first thing he does is go to get Peter, his brother, and bring him to Jesus. The first thing Philip does he doesn't know it all, but he knows Jesus. And what does he do? He brings his doubting friend or whether it's his relative or this other brother, he brings them to Jesus. And, and I love, I love that. I love that. So I want to end with a very practical challenge this week. And I just invite anybody who would be up for it to, to join me in this. But, but, but the Holy Spirit is big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to to, uh, to apply this message to your heart in whatever way that looks like. But here's one way that I would challenge us this week, and that is simply this, the unhindered and unhurried prayer challenge. And it's an encouragement. 
Listen, and I know we know this, but listen, praise God for his grace, right? Whether I check off all the boxes and do everything I'm supposed to or not, guess what? God loves me still. Thank you, God, for grace. But I want to know him more. And because I want to know him more, I know that I need to spend unhurried and unhindered time. So I encourage you, whatever that looks like for you, find a time and a place in your schedule and set it apart as best you can. As the Bible says, go into your prayer closet and close the door, which in our day, I think that might mean shut off your phone and go to a place where there's not a lot of noise, right? And then it's, it's time reading the word. It's time in prayer. And I'm, I'm sure that there are many here today that have a consistent devotional life with the Lord. And like, it's just, it's awesome. And I just cheer you on. If you're in a D group, you're in a read, like you're walking through the word. That's amazing. But it could be that you're like, you know what? I know that's something that I, I something that I, I I'm, I'm, I'm kind of off track with right now. And so, and so like here would be the encouragement, 15 minutes, a starting point, a starting point. Prepare your heart five minutes of just worshiping the Lord. Prepare your heart to hear from him through his word. Prepare your heart just to be still and know that he's God. And then take the word of God and open the word and read the word for five minutes. And as you read the word, maybe you're not 100% sure where to start. Maybe you have a reading plan. If you don't, the book, the gospel of John is a great starting point. Just read a chapter a day. Take some time. Read the word, and then that next five minutes, pray. Communing with the Father. You can't mess prayer up. We can't mess it up. It's resting in His presence. It's resting to hear His voice through the word and through His promptings and leadings, and it's praying to Him about what's going on in our lives and our world. And that we would commit to that unhurried and unhindered time with Him. And then two, is that we would ask the Lord specifically to grow our burden for others to know Him. It's going to be the natural overflow as we do that. But as we do that, that God would specifically put that burden on our hearts. And I mentioned in there, I believe it's in your notes, who's your one. And I just like to keep this in front of us. But if you're looking for a great help in how to pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus, this is a great journal to pray through. And we have them. As you go out here, they're on our tables. You just pick one up. It's a great great tool. And the heart behind this Hoosier one is that who is at least one person that is in our sphere of influence that we long to see to come to faith in Christ. And so let's pray for a burden and let's pray for others to know him. That third thing is ask the Lord for an opportunity and the courage to share. I believe what I know based on scripture, what I know to be true is this. God is always working. He's always working. And there could be burning bushes all around us. But, but if we don't stop and, and, and be still and have that unhurried, unhindered time, we can miss those opportunities where God wants to use us to be a blessing or a witness to others. And so what this is, is praying for an opportunity. There's opportunities at soccer practice. There could be opportunities at Kroger. There could be opportunities at Walmart. There could be opportunities when you're on the phone with a salesperson trying to sell you something <laughs> like there, there are, there are opportunities all around. And so why don't we pray together that God just show us those opportunities, but then have the courage to point them to Jesus. And let's not worry about if we're going to mess something up. 
let's just jump in there and let's just point them to Jesus. Just like Andrew did and just like Philip did. Out of the presence of Jesus, they just went and got them and they brought them. And so God help us. Last thing is this, step out in faith. And that's just an encouragement is that um, when those opportunities come, and I believe they will, as we are sensitive to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, we'll see them. And I believe that God would want to use you and want to use me as his vessel to share the best news that could ever be shared. That is to come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for the power in your word. And I thank you of the the power that comes through that unhindered and unhurried time. And so God, I I pray that, that as a family of faith, God, that we would be disciplined. Not because you will love us more. Just because we want to know you more. That God, that you would in that time quiet our hearts and we would be sensitive to your voice, reading your word, processing by your grace that word. And really God, just spending that time in prayer and then the ripple effect that happens. Others will be impacted when we spend that time with you. It will drive and compel our love for others to know you and we rest that you know all things. We just need to be faithful to point others to you and enjoy the ride, the eternal ride. So God, help us to invest in what is lasting and not what is temporal. God, thank you for your grace. As I'm, my flesh wants to go back to do's and don'ts and, and all the things I need to fix. But God, just to rest in your grace and know that you do the transforming work as we spend time with you. And God, I pray for anybody who is here who may not have a personal relationship with you. That God, the good news is that for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect, sinless life, a life that we could never live, and died on a cross for our sin, to pay the price for our sin, because Our sin deserves a payment to be in the presence of a holy God. And so you took on flesh and took the payment for us. So God, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to begin that relationship, today would be the day acknowledging their sin, changing their mind about their sin and placing their faith and trust in you as Lord, your death, burial and resurrection. And God, that you have called us to a mission bigger than ourselves. So God, we love you. We praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to have a time of response. And we'll have pastors here if we can pray over you or encourage you in any way. Obviously, the altar is always open. You see somebody around that you need to pray with, pray. We just want to give some space to allow the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts this morning.